this is a good day to be with all of the saints. Uh, Christians all over the world start celebrating this day uh, about like 15, 20 hours ago. Uh, it's pretty great. Uh, 1,985 years ago, uh, on a Sunday morning in ancient Palestine, uh, in a guarded tomb, Jesus rose from the dead. Uh, Jesus rose from the dead. A man born in the town of Bethlehem amongst shepherds and livestock and manure rose from the dead. Uh, he was a child raised as a refugee in Egypt. He later apprenticed under his father to be a carpenter in this little known town of Nazareth in this uh, state that was forgotten in the Roman Empire, just a passageway to bigger and better things. But in his early 30s, uh, he began teaching, he began working miracles, he began a movement that uh, we still feel reverberations of today. He spoke about uh, loving your neighbor as yourself. He told incredible stories that, that not only connected people's uh, minds to God, but also their hearts to God. Uh, he welcomed people in. He, he claimed to be able to forgive people of their sins, to make them well, to make them whole. Uh, he was killed by Roman authorities as a convicted criminal. But then, on a Sunday morning, uh, April 5th, in 33 AD, which is what we celebrate today, Jesus of Nazareth walked out of a grave. And whether you know it or not, uh, whether you think about this all the time, or a little bit, or not at all, uh, what you do with Jesus and that story is the main thing about you. The main thing about you is what you do with that story of Jesus. Whether you've analyzed it a bunch or whether you've dwelt on it like just deeply, uh, the story of Jesus is the main thing happening in your life. Uh, it's not whether your car can make it to Kansas City or not, but we'll pray for it, no worries. Uh, I just, just then I prayed for it. Now, I'll it. Uh, no, but that's the main thing happening in your life, is what you do with Jesus. It's a question that hangs over everybody, all humanity. Because the claims of Jesus, the claims of Easter, there are two really big claims. Uh, and then there's one really big question, but, but what humanity does with Jesus is the dominant thing about our existence. It's the main thing. Because if these claims of Easter are true, it changes everything. It changes everything about uh, your life today. Uh, it changes everything about uh, that moment in time where uh, death does overtake you. And people mourn over your passing at a gravesite. And so this morning, the passage we're going to look at is John chapter 11, uh, verses 25 and 27. Uh, in this passage, it comes before all of those dramatic events of, of Jesus being on trial, of his death, of his resurrection. But, but it comes as basically a preview of Jesus saying, this is what all of this will mean. Uh, not that often, though. I mean, we get that sometimes in stories or, or movies and cinema. Uh, people will tell us what's about to happen, and then we see it happen. Uh, Jesus has this conversation with this lady, his friend, Martha, about what his resurrection will mean. 
what the purpose of his existence is, and it makes it the broad claims that we have to at least explore and investigate. Uh, he comes to this lady, Martha, uh, after her brother had died. Uh, you might know the famous story of Lazarus. Uh, he was one of Jesus' close friends. Uh, and he had two sisters, Mary and Martha. You might also know their names, too. They're also kind of famous, mostly because they knew Jesus. I don't think anyone would know them. They're from this little town called Bethany. It's just two miles outside of Jerusalem. But, but Lazarus got sick and then died. Then the news traveled to Jesus, and he was heartbroken and grieved about it. And he told his disciples, actually, hey, we need to go and grieve. He says, let us also go there that we could die with him. That's what he says. But we could die with this friend. And back then, if, if someone were to pass away, it, the grieving included not just the immediate family members, but every aunt and uncle and third cousin and fourth cousin, every servant, every business partner, every third cousin of your business partner. Everybody gathered into one town to grieve and to weep. To weep the reality of death that had come into uh, their world into their town. And so Jesus is one of those friends. He comes, and as he's walking in, he, he encounters Martha, Lazarus' sister. And they have this conversation. And she says, if you had been here, he wouldn't have died. You could have healed him. That's what you do. And then they talk a little bit about resurrection, and then this is what Jesus says to her in verse 25. He says, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die." He should live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? And she said to him, Yes, Lord, I believe that you are the Christ, the Son of God, who is coming into the world. Jesus says to this grieving person, I am the resurrection. He he says it to uh, a family member, a friend, who's, who's tasting and seeing the reality of human brokenness, of of death. And it's saying, he's spoken to people in grief. I don't know if you've ever tried that when people are grieving uh, the loss of a close, dear brother, and you come to them and say, and make some sort of claim about yourself. Like, well, I'm the hope of the world. Uh, Hopefully we've not done that. But this is how Jesus answers grief. With With his own identity statement. He says, I am the resurrection. He says this into friendships that will no longer be. He says it into the Lazarus and, and all of his friends, his laughter, his, his joy, the way they used to all hang out together will never be that anymore. And Jesus says, I am the resurrection. Into a family that will no longer be the same. Uh, Lazarus no longer be there at all the celebrations, all of the feasts. They will not walk together into Jerusalem to celebrate Passover. They will not uh, have memories. They can't even be able to share the same memories because they will not ever be the same. And he says, I'm the resurrection though. He says that into relationships that will no longer exist. I'm the resurrection. Into death, he says, I'm the resurrection. See, a broken life, uh, that's what death is. It's broken life. It breaks families. You want to see a broken family? Look at a family who's lost someone. That's a broken family. Broken friendships. All because of death. 
the family that Jesus talks to us to, that he speaks these words to, that he says, I'm the resurrection, he speaks to a family that is experiencing what all humanity has to taste and see at some point, which is death. And that moment, a bunch of people crowded around, grieving and weeping, someone who was healthy just days ago, now in the tomb, is a moment that all of us will share. That could have been your moment. Either in the grave or at the side of the grave, weeping over that person. And Jesus says, I'm the resurrection. All of this brokenness, I'm the resurrection. See, the the Bible makes a huge claim about what's messed up with the world. And that's uh, sin. And the the curse of sin is death. But long ago, as uh, Haiti read earlier in the poem that she read in the beginning, long ago, humanity decided to do what we've always decided to do since then. Which is, I can be the God of myself. I can be in charge, I can be in control, I can have sovereignty over uh, my coming, my going. God is pretty great. But what if I just existed as myself, a God, on my own? And that is the root of all sin. It's to say that God's really withholding. He's really not as kind as he makes himself out to be. Sure, he created the universe, but look at what I can make. And and that that desire to be like God, to be God ourselves, leads us always to do things that are born out of pride and selfishness, where we lie and we steal and we cheat and we yell at people, we are short with our children, we uh, complain in our minds about our spouses, about how I'm always nice and they're never nice. And and the Bible makes this claim that this sin, this, this brokenness, this... Uh, way things are not supposed to be is so pervasive within each human that it pumps through every vein and muscle and thought of our lives that we are consumed with this sin. And the curse of sin, no one can live in that sin and continue on living. Death enters the story. Death is not the way the story was supposed to be written. But death enters it because of our sin. And so when Jesus says, I am the resurrection, to a grieving, mourning people, he's saying, I am turning back the grave. There's a hole at the bottom of every grave, at the back of every tomb, and I've busted it open. I have done that. It's who I am. Uh, One of the things that's pretty phenomenal is that he makes this identity statement about his existence before he's even done it, which is kind of how God works. He says, this is how I am, this is who I am, and all of my actions will flow from that. The resurrection of Jesus is as certain in that moment when he talks to Martha as it was the day that Mary Magdalene saw him outside of the tomb. He is the resurrection. He also makes us claim that resurrection is required. That each of us need raising. That without him, the tomb is the end. Without God's unfailing love to come and to enter into the world, the grave is the end. We need resurrection. So if Jesus is the resurrection, then he raises us up from the grave. He raises all who believe, he says. 
And in that, death has no sting. The curse of sin has been overcome by his perfect life, his perfect death, and then his victorious coming again. His resurrection, walking out of the tomb. That's why Jesus says, I'm the resurrection. That's why this is actually good news to people at grave sites. Uh, whenever my grandmother passed away, I took Nora, my oldest daughter, just the two of us went to Oklahoma. And uh, one of the things that was pretty awesome is to see how, at the time she was like four years old, all the dots began to connect for her because we were standing at graves and we're in a cemetery. I carried my grandmother's casket in, not alone, but with my 13 cousins. And uh, I'm the weak one with soft hands. <laughs> anyway, uh, I have brighter hands. <laughs> as, we, as we carried my grandmother in and as we put her into the grave, the reality of it struck my daughter. And she's like, oh, this is why we need Jesus. Jesus makes that untrue. It's like, yes. This is why Jesus says, I'm the resurrection. He also says, I'm the life. Not just, I'm the resurrection, I, I overturn this curse of sin, this death. He also says, I'm the life. Which is also a profound claim of our need. That we need a life. That we need an existence. And that he's in. He doesn't claim that, hey, I'm I'm a way to a good life. Like, I can show you, like, how to live really well. I can show you your best life now. He doesn't say, hey, like, if you subscribe to me, $8.99 a month, like, I can, like, fulfill your life. Your life can have stuff now. He says, no, like, I am your life. I am the only life. I'm not an alternative life. I am the life. Uh, in Portland, we had, uh, I had a few friends, uh, mostly that I made at this coffee shop, who, uh, the, the guy who owned this coffee shop, Chris, he would talk to me most Sunday mornings before I would go and preach, which is always good to have someone to talk to uh, before talking in front of a bunch of people. But one day, Chris said, don't you think that Jesus was like a zombie? Like, he just walked out of the tomb as a zombie. You have to... People in Portland believe in zombies. Uh, I guess I should say that up front. But this is the claim that Jesus is making. He's, he, he doesn't rise from the dead as, as some corpse that's somehow able to walk. What he says when he says, I'm the resurrection and the life, he's saying, you are the zombies. You are the dead people walking around. You don't even know it. You're just a corpse with muscles, and the life that you have is no life at all. You're the ones who are zombies. When he says, I'm the resurrection, he's saying, you need a life. And there is no life unless you're with God. It's a claim about an existence that we might have. He says, I'm alive. He's saying, we're dead because of our sin today. The curse is not simply that one day we might die. No matter how well we keep our bodies or how poorly we keep our bodies, uh, he's saying the problem is you're dead today. Today, in this moment, you have no life. Because there's no life apart from God. The huge tragedy of what happens in the garden is when Adam and Eve walk out of it. And God does not walk with them. Then. The the pain of 
of Adam and Eve choosing to be God themselves. It's not that, that they you know, feel themselves naked. Those are all just symptoms of the deep problem that they no longer walk where God wants. They're no longer with Him. And then the whole story is not just about undoing death and the curse of it. It's about bringing life, an abundant life. A life that can only be lived if you're close to God, walking with God. The only way to live close to God is if somehow our bodies and souls are resurrected. And Jesus says, I am the life. And if everyone is, uh, believes in Jesus, anyone who does, will enjoy that sort of confidence and power over sin itself, over them, over uh, our lives. See, the two claims of Jesus' identity can be sort of compounded into just the gospel message, the message of good news. Uh, Christianity is about good news. Uh, it might not feel that way sometimes. But Christianity is about good news. Good news that, that Jesus has defeated sin, death, and evil through his own life, his own death, his own resurrection. And he is making every single thing new. He's making you new, he's making me new. A whole new life. This is what came into us. He brings it. Whoever wants it, gets it. Uh, the prophets describe uh, this amazing day when all will be made the way it should be. And it's about people drinking whatever they want to drink and eating whatever they want to eat. If they have no money, if they have a lot of money, it's just one really big party where people are celebrating. And Jesus says, that's what this day is. He says, I am the life. Human flourishing, true life, is through me, through my resurrection. Uh, this week for me, I don't know, maybe some of you are coming into Easter like Jessica comes into every day, full of power and momentum and excitement. But for me, I come tired of a week where our oldest daughter was home from spring break. This year was a really hard year to realize that like spring break is not a party for me, but it's like more work for us. Maybe I'm the only parent that feels that way. But it was spring break. I, I'm coming to this, this Sunday feeling uh, tired and exhausted. People broke into our car a few nights ago. Uh, they didn't take anything important. They just like left a big mess and emotional scars. Um, and uh, this week has been filled also with, uh, I could describe the circumstances of it, but just deep within my own heart of this sinister desire to be in control of what happens all the time. Not just like what happens with big important things, but like how the coffee is made, how I eat my breakfast, the, 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 the volume of my breakfast, and, and everything from there on. I want to say that I am in control and I'm in charge of it. And the problem is, is that that's not just a cute thing, it's a deep thing of yelling at people, of taking, of abusing. And see, what the Christian message is all about is if we are left alone here, we are awful, horrendous people who hurt and wound and destroy what God has made. On Friday, I, I think I had, was close to giving up uh, on my control. And I began reading uh, a bit about the cross and the crucifixion of Jesus. 
And just so you know, I don't, I don't have a plot. This isn't like my everyday um, where I do this. But as I was reading, I couldn't help but like leave at the reality of our really good Savior. That, that even for uh, me over the course of a spring break, Christ died for me and rose again, that I would have a full and abundant life, no longer bound by the sin of being in control, but in awe of the one who's actually in control. I was amazed that our Savior would do such a thing for even the most petty of people. But that's how he ends. He says to her, do you believe this? Some of Jesus' most powerful uh, words are actually questions. Like, who do you say that I am? What do you think? Uh, how will we feed these people? But then in this time, he says, do you believe this? Because it's not just a Hallmark card, right? Uh, I saw on Stephen Colbert that Frozen is now making Easter cards. Uh, that's not what this is. It's not a feel-good card. He's saying, do you believe this? Jesus is asking her and basically asking us too, does our faith contain a belief that Jesus is Lord and conqueror over sin and death and evil? Does, does our faith have that? And Jesus is asking, do you believe this? Uh, we all believe in something, even though belief can very much feel like a very nebulous kind of term. Like, it's a noun, these are my beliefs. Uh, it's a verb, this is what I'm going to believe in. Uh, and we might say, well, I don't really believe in all this mystical, you know, whatever. This guy, 1,985 years ago, I wasn't there, I don't see the facts. Like, what am I supposed to do? I'm not that kind of person that just puts trust in stuff like that. Uh, but maybe you've done a job interview at some point in time where you had to go in and uh, prove to yourself to somebody else that you're really worthy. And then you begin you begin to feel like, well, I think they're gonna hire me. I'm gonna start interviewing them. So you start asking them questions about their financials, their like health care benefits and all those other things. And then later they send you an offer sheet. And you look at it and you see what they're gonna pay you and and then you sign it. And you say, I'm gonna do that, I'm gonna work for you. What you've done in that moment is put an incredible amount of trust and faith and belief in a company. That this company is worthy of, of 80% of your life, of your mind, of your creativity, of your hands. You, this company is worthy of all of that stuff, and in return, they're going to pay you. And you can have full faith that this company is actually not going to be run to the ground, that the people there are as nice as they seem when they interviewed you. So that's hardly ever the case. Uh, that, they're, that they're going to uh, be there for you financially. That they're going to hold up their end of the bargain. That, that your 401k will you know, generate like they said they would. That they're going to keep putting it in there. You sign with an incredible faith. And you give your life the good stuff of your life to a company out of faith. You're saying, not like, hey, do you want to believe this instead of believing nothing? You're saying, do you want to believe this instead of all the other stuff that you believe? Am I Lord over death? We also should be cautious that what we expect to happen 
should match our beliefs. Uh, one of the tragedies of my own soul is that I uh, lower my expectations to fit my belief. Uh, often, Miro uh, and I will go to restaurants. Uh, in Lo- not often, but often. Uh, in Los Angeles, uh, it's, it's actually pretty hard. So we came from Portland, in Portland, Oregon, all the food is really fresh and it's really wonderful. You can walk down the street, go into a restaurant you've never heard of, it's really good. But here what we do is we spend hours or minutes uh, reading over Yelp reviews. And some Yelp reviews start with, here's my whole story about how I ended up in this restaurant, and then it was really terrible. But then you, you research the restaurant, you see what the menu is, you see what it costs, and you go in and say, I'm going to have this wonderful meal, uh, the pictures look cool, uh, the, there are you know, only four good reviews, but all the other people kind of seem crazy. We're going for it. Like, let's jump into this. And you come with this, this expectation of a wonderful meal and, and friends and conversation, and it's going to be awesome. And then you order something, you're like, this better be $22 worth of you know, smoked trout. And then what comes is just not. $22 and worthy of all of the investigation. It looks pretty. LA is really good at making things look pretty. But it's not really good underneath it. Uh, right? Yeah. Uh, what Jesus is saying is, do you believe this? Because what I'm asking you to believe exceeds expectations. We're willing to put our faith in restaurants and coffee shops and the latest gear that comes out and the latest video game or whatever it is, and he's saying, but will you believe in something that exceeds your expectations? It goes far beyond what you could ever imagine or think and hope. Because if you answer, yes, I do believe, like, get ready. And that's what she says. She says back to Jesus, she says, yes, Lord. I believe that you are the Christ, the Son of God, who is coming into this world. She says, yes, I believe in you. See, the question that hangs over us is not about facts or bullet points. It's about, do you believe in Jesus? Do you believe that he is Lord over sin and death and evil? Has he conquered it? Has he vanquished every foe? It's about the person. It's about his word. And this is not just a call to believe uh, or to believe in something, to believe in a good philosopher or a good teacher or a good storyteller. Though, I mean, for 2,000 years ago, what a storyteller, what a teacher. But it's a call to believe in a risen Jesus. Not just any Jesus, but a Jesus that walks out of the tomb with scars and his hands and his feet that has died for you and for me. That's the call and the appeal to believe in a risen Jesus. And if you say, yes, I do believe. I believe in Jesus. That's worth proclaiming at every turn of your life. Not just one Sunday a year or uh, one Sunday a week. It's worth proclaiming at every turn of your life to yourself that he is Lord over all. He is the victorious one. Every heartache, every dream come true, every highlight or low light that we might have, Jesus as the risen Lord is worth proclaiming at every turn. If you believe this, what confidence can you carry for the rest of your life? 
that, that your lungs might fail, your heart might stop beating, yet Jesus continues to be Lord even over your death. That the grave itself will not contain you either. I mean, we get so excited when we sing that he's risen from the dead. Do you realize you will rise from the dead if you believe in us? He's the first for all of us. What an amazing Savior. And what an amazing Savior who, that we get to proclaim and cherish and, and adore. Uh, that God didn't consider us a lost cause. That came into this world. That just came here. I mean, we think it's bad now. It's been basically like this for a long time. Uh, our leaders are bad. His leaders were really bad, like really messed up people. Um, they weren't, you know, pleading, but they were still, like, bad people, bad humans. And Jesus said, I'm coming into that. What a Savior. Your mess, your life is so messy. And he says, I'm coming into that. What an amazing Savior. He says, yeah, the way forward for this, this human race is my death or their death. I'm, I, I breathed the world into existence. I, I kissed Adam and he became alive. But I will die for these people. What an amazing Savior. I'm scared of scratching my finger on a piece of paper when I open an envelope. Jesus says, I will endure the cross with amazing joy. Joy. Not like a trudgery. Like, oh, well, I guess I've got to do this chore of dying for the world. But Jesus walked full of joy and hope and promise. It's as if he was looking forward to that day for eternity. Because when he was on earth and teaching his disciples, he talked about it all the time. I'm going to die for you. I'm, the Son of Man didn't come you know, to serve the wealthy and the healthy. I came for the sick. I came to get dirty. I came to die. He was so excited to die for us. To be, to be mocked before you know, generals and governors and religious leaders when he founded the religion. To be mocked by people so petty. And he says, it's my joy to do that for all of you. What an amazing Savior. And that, that they, they carried him off the cross, a limp body, dead. The Romans were good at killing people. Carried them into the grave. And then they couldn't even prepare him well because it was already the Sabbath. So they had to leave him and they, they guarded him as if he was still a criminal. Right? Like, even in his death, he's still not good enough. Like, he still deserves to be guarded. Like, he's in a prison now. Because death is that kind of prison. And then the tomb gets rolled away and he walks out of it. What a savior. And so if you say yes to that, that's what you get to proclaim all the time. That person, Jesus. And if you hear all of this, and you're still quite unsure, I really get that. This has been one of my short sermons. Uh, so I can't, you know, we can't, the, like, that Jesus died and rose again, that's pretty bizarre because uh, dead things stay dead. Like, even the plants that die don't come back for me, right? 
But the center of Christianity is this pretty remarkable reversal of everything that we know to be true. And so if you're still questioning, I get it. But the person of Jesus is worth exploring, at the very least. Jesus is worth inspecting. And, and you can read the Bible, you can uh, talk to people who've studied a bunch. There are books that you can read. Some are really short, some are really long. Uh, depends on how much inspecting you want to do. But at the very most, like if you really want to know like, the power of resurrection, then, then you would have to engage in a community of people that proclaim this, that believe this. You would have to surround yourself by a group of people that are, that are going through the same financial hardships, children hardships, struggles, some bigger than yours, some less than yours, and watch how they interact with the world where resurrection is possible. Uh, Ernest Hemingway is one of my favorite writers. I don't know if he was a Christian, uh, but he's really good at writing. Uh, he said once, uh, you can't trust a man until you trust him. Uh, you can't know if he's trustworthy unless you get in there and you just trust him. Uh, Jesus told the story uh, because there's always telling stories about this guy who was working in a field. Uh, he worked in the field for a long time. He was digging, he was building something. And then as he was working in this field as a hired hand, as a day laborer, he finds a treasure. And inside that treasure, he opens it up and he sees that the, what's inside is worth everything. It's, 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 it's more valuable than anything he could have ever expected to own in his entire life. And so he puts the, the treasure back on the ground, which is what I hope the people that have you know, broken into our car would just put stuff back. Uh, he puts it back on the ground, he buries it with dirt, and then he goes home. And then he spends all of this time selling everything that he has. Uh, he, he's going around to everybody in the village saying, hey, do you want to buy my cup because I'm kind of raising money for something? He sells everything. He sells his house. He sells all this property. He gets rid of everything. He makes it his job and calling in life to get rid of all this stuff. And then when he's gotten rid of all this stuff, he takes everything that he has, all the money from everything. He goes to the person who owns the field and he buys the field. And then after he has the field, he goes, he digs up the treasure, and he has the treasure. And Jesus says, finding faith in the kingdom of God, of the resurrection and the life, is just like that. Sometimes your life is interrupted by this treasure. Sometimes it requires digging and excavating and finding. But it will always require selling everything that you have. Because he's going to ask you, do you believe this? Let's pray. <laughs> Jesus, we thank you for the hope that we have found in you, that you are wonderful, that you are uh, far beyond our expectations. Uh, help us uh, to continue to believe, uh, not because you're not worthy, but because we're easily distracted. Uh, we're easily exhaustible. Help us to believe. Help us to look into the tomb and see your resurrection. Help me to live a life of resurrection. Amen.